Got some good news for you today, but I got some bad news for you today, too. The good news is going to come a little bit later. I'll just start with the bad news. I don't know if you guys recognize, but it is kind of almost time for mosquito season. Anybody realize that? Uh, you know, we had that little glimpse of really good weather recently, and uh, I was at my in-law's house, and we were eating on the back patio, and uh, just was this beautiful night, and then all of a sudden, my son was like, ow! <laughs> And, yeah, and then we just all started getting eaten up by mosquitoes. It was like, it makes you go, why on earth do mosquitoes exist? You know, I don't know. I, I got questions. I got real questions. I trust that God knows, but I got serious questions, right? You know, I love the baby blessing. I got other questions about kids. Like, why on earth do kids, you know, they won't even touch lunch or dinner, but they can eat snacks all day and night. I don't understand this. I got questions, right? That phrase, why on earth, is kind of funny. You know, we, we use it, I guess, to make ourselves feel better about things that we're not, you know, we're confused about or we're frustrated about. You know, why on earth? Like, there's some cosmic answer that's just going to come down and, and tell us why these things happen or why we are frustrated. But how about a serious one? Why on earth would God send his perfect son to live among imperfect humans? Why on earth? Why was Jesus on earth? That's actually the question that Jesus answers here in Mark chapter 1 in the second half of the first chapter. And so as we study through the gospel of Mark, what we're going to learn is that Jesus had a purpose. He came for a reason. But the transformative message here, the thing that I really want you to lock into today, is that when we begin to understand why Jesus was here, we can fully understand why we are here, which is a huge question. We want to know what we're doing here. We want to know why are we on earth? And so Jesus helps us with this in Mark chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, open it with me to chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 35 and read the last 10 verses of Mark chapter 1 together. So if you're able and willing, would you stand with me in honor of God's word? If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, if you're following online, the words are going to be on the screen. And so I'll uh, read it out loud while you guys follow along silently. Starting in verse 35, it says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up. He went out, made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But he was out in deserted places and they came to him from everywhere. Thanks. You can have a seat. 
What do we see in the life and purpose of Jesus in Mark chapter 1 that helps us know how our lives can matter for eternity? Well, it starts with kind of right where we left off last week in verse 35 is that Jesus had a personal source. Jesus' personal source was conversation with his Father, the only divine source for life. And that's, like I said, where we left off last week. But it's worth emphasizing again that Jesus' ministry was fueled by his relationship with the Father. I had a friend in South Dakota when we were there for several years planting churches for Moberly, and, uh, and we had a, a church plant in Sturgis. But before the church plant in Sturgis existed, I had a friend there who, who lived in Sturgis. And uh, he was a, a welder, diesel mechanic, you know, just like a man's man, just way cooler than I am. And, uh, and he built his own motorcycle. Uh, like this is just a normal thing. He built like hot rods and rat rods. He built his own motorcycle. Uh, just from scratch, from the ground up, okay? And uh, when he got saved, he started coming to church, and then he started going on motorcycle rides with all the guys at church. And everybody at church, I don't know, those of you who ride motorcycles, you probably have something like a Harley, like a big Harley, just kind of sit and ride, you know. Well, well, this guy's motorcycle wasn't like the other ones, right? Because he built it himself, but he didn't build it to go on long trips. He built it to go really, really fast. And it did go really, really fast, But what was interesting about the way he built it that was different from the others is that he built it intentionally with a small gas tank. It wasn't supposed to go long distances, right? And so when he would go on rides with the other guys from church, he had to kind of plan his journey out based on the gas stops that in South Dakota can be few and far between. So you can understand the difficulty that he would have. Think about this with your life spiritually. I would venture to say that your life is very, very fast. You live at a fast pace. It's just the way most of us are. We live very, very fast. And most of us have far overestimated the distance that our spiritual tanks can take us. We don't spend enough time getting alone with God. But we need time dedicated for conversation with our Heavenly Father, our spiritual source, if we want to accomplish our God-given purpose here on earth. Jesus understood this, and so he stole away. He got away very early in the morning. He left and went out into a deserted place, and there he prayed. This is a defining characteristic of Jesus' life, by the way. Jesus, throughout his ministry in three years on earth, was found doing this often. There was this moment when his ministry was kind of being defined for people around him. They were understanding who he was. Well, he needed time to get away and be with God alone. There was a time when in the kind of the middle of his ministry when his purpose on earth was threatened because not because people wanted him dead, but because people wanted to take him by force and make him their political king, which wasn't what he came here to do. So do you know what he did? He got away by himself and he prayed. Later on in his ministry, almost to the end, when his purpose is about to be fulfilled by giving his life on the cross, what does he do? He gets away by himself in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays. Jesus knew that he needed his personal source, his divine source. He had to have that source to accomplish his purpose on earth. And if Jesus knew that, 
I got to ask, who do we think we are? Thinking we can live our lives without regularly tapping into our divine source. You've heard of bon, uh, John Bon Jovi? Uh, he's a you know, songwriter. He wrote Living on a Prayer. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it for you. Uh, but what Jesus came to say was that prayer is a way of living for people whose lives are defined by their God-given purpose. And we're going to talk more about what that is, but when we're talking about tapping into our spiritual source, that Jesus had a personal source, and so do we, it's because Jesus gave us access. You, you recognize that Jesus made it possible for us to know God in a personal way. Jesus is the reason that we can go to God in prayer. That wasn't the case before Jesus. Jesus made the way for us. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, it, the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. That means let us not let go of why we're here on earth. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Jesus made it possible for us to go directly to God. This is good news. But I know, I recognize this, life gets crazy, you know. I mean, you've got work, you've got school, you've got kids. Even if, you know, you're at you know, home with kids, like it's just kids, they're just in the house. Like it's difficult, whatever you're doing during the day, it's so difficult to get time alone with God. You can go days, weeks, months just being busy, living a fast-paced life before you go, oh man, I really need some time with the Lord, right? Have you had that experience? I know I have. Well, here's what Jesus gives us in a very practical sense, like a tip that you can apply to your life right now. It's not easy, but it's very, very practical. It's what he did, it does in verse 35. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up. Jesus chose the times. Every time he was found alone through the gospel stories, praying to his heavenly father, it was times that he chose on purpose, the only two times that he could control. Before anybody else was awake and after everybody else went to bed. So this is just a super practical tip. You recognize in your life that you can't live out your God-given purpose without constant communication and, and, and definitely finding space in your life to carve out for dedicated, focused conversation with God. So where you can find it is the only two times you can control, right? Before anybody else wakes up and after everybody else goes to bed. So I was spending time with the Lord this week and I was preparing for this message uh, at other points. But in my personal time with the Lord, I was studying the Psalms. And in chapter 119, I came across this incredible truth that just reinforces this. In verse 146 of Psalm 119, it says... I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. Basically saying, I want to see you at work, God. This is why I'm talking to you. I want to see what you're up to. I want to know why I'm here. And he says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. 
Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord. According to your justice, give me life. See, Jesus knew the only, per- the only way that he could actually live out his life purpose here on earth was constant communication and focused communication, time alone with the Lord. There's something for us there to learn from him. It's not just a better way to do life. It's not just a preferable way to live the Christian life that maybe if you can spend some time with God, that might be helpful to you. No, this is the way God designed us to be in relationship with him. All of eternity was built around Jesus becoming the way for us to have access to God so that we could know him in a personal way, so that we wouldn't just go through our days and give a nod to him every once in a while, but that we could begin and end our days in focused, dedicated time with our heavenly source as Jesus did. God designed it that way. So just do a little self-evaluation. Where's the gap for you? How can you follow Jesus' example that if you want to live out your divine purpose here on earth to know why you're here, you first have to go straight to your divine source. Now, Jesus got away by himself, but you recognize in verse 36, he didn't stay gone away by himself very long. The disciples tracked him down, and they didn't really get everything that Jesus was doing yet. It's kind of like being a parent of toddlers, and like you just want to go to the bathroom by yourself for once. Like, just, just let me get into the bathroom and have not have a little kid following me in there, just wanting my constant attention. That's what the disciples were doing to Jesus. You know, they were brand new followers of Christ. And so he gets away to pray. Well, they track him down. They're trying to find him. And they're going, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Like, we need more attention. We need more miracles. We need you to do some more stuff. We need... And what was happening is they were so enamored with Jesus' miracles that they were totally missing his message. The disciples and everybody else. That's why the crowds kept coming around him. It's because they just wanted him to do more stuff for them. But Jesus was up to something so much bigger. And so in verse 38, he clues them in with his purpose statement. Jesus gives his purpose statement. Let's just read it together, verse 38, and just track down a little bit beyond this, too. Again, it says, He said to them, Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there, too. This is why I have come. Of course, that's a key phrase. Verse 39 says, He went into all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him, and on his knees he begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be made clean. And immediately, that word that Mark loves to use, immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now that verse 38, when Jesus says, this is why I have come. Of course, this is the climactic statement of the second half of chapter 1. And the reason I show you this and the reason we read a little bit farther is because what we see in chapter 1 is right after this statement, Jesus healing the leper, right? He was casting out the unclean sickness. But don't forget what we talked about last week, which happened right before this passage, which is that Jesus was casting out unclean spirits, so there's something happening here that Mark wants us to pay attention to. 
And this is a strategy that Mark uses in his gospel that we'll see a couple more times throughout his gospel is that he will identify a truth about Jesus, a spiritual truth for us to discover and own, but he will surround it, he'll sandwich it in by two stories or topics that help us understand that truth in a deeper way. So we look back to chapter 1 to see driving out the unclean spirits. We look forward right after his prayer and clarifying his purpose to see him driving out the unclean sickness of leprosy. And we got to ask ourselves, what's going on here? We need to look at that a little bit deeper so that we can learn more about why Jesus was here on earth. Okay, so we're going to get into like a little bit deeper Bible stuff here for just a few minutes, but I want to promise you, you're going to track with me, and then we're going to land on a spiritual truth that everybody can understand, okay? So why is Jesus here? Why does he give his purpose statement? Well, the action verb in verse 38 is preach, proclaim. Well, that ought to make Bells go off in your head if you've been coming for a few weeks because in verse 14 of chapter 1, right after John the Baptist was arrested, you can look back at it with me, it says that Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Well, what's the good news of God? The kingdom, excuse me, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. See, when Jesus says, I'm coming to preach, it's not that he was just going to go preach, like he didn't just come to be a preacher. He came to announce the kingdom of God is near. The time has been fulfilled, and he's inviting people into God's kingdom through repentance and belief. This is incredible. This is a world-changing moment. And Jesus says, this is why I'm here. This was his message. This was why he came, out to earth, came to earth. And what we see in the stories on either side of this purpose statement is that Jesus came to rout out the uncleanness of our hearts so that the kingdom of God could be planted in us. Verse 26, if you're looking with me and you go back up all the way to verse 26, what you see is that the, it says the unclean spirit, after making kind of a ruckus, the unclean spirits came out of him. So just think about that for a second. And then we flip over to verse 42. Later on, which we just read, you see that as Jesus says, be made clean, it says immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now, that's interesting because these two words that are used for these results of Jesus' commands, are based, it's the same root word in the original language. Now, they have a different prefix, which kind of makes them translated slightly different, but for the demon, the demon came out of him. But the leprosy for the man who was a leper left him. But the truth is the same, that Jesus came to rout out the uncleanness in our hearts so that he could plant God's kingdom in us. This is an incredible truth. Now, what was different and unique about the man who had leprosy was what Jesus did physically with him. Did you notice this? Look at this in verse 41. He says, moved with compassion... Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. It's kind of a redundant way to say this, right? Mark is, 
is kind of emphasizing what Jesus is doing here because it's so unique. He could have just said Mark touched him. Even that would have been kind of scandalous, but he goes farther to say he took initiative to reach out to this man who was unclean and touched him. Now, what made this man unclean? Well, two things. This was leprosy, which was a physical uncleanness. You know, it, it had physical repercussions on a person that made other people not want to be around them. They were worried that if they got too close to them, that they would contract the disease, which meant certain death. And so it was kind of the original social distancing. Someone with leprosy, they didn't know how close they could get because they weren't totally sure how the disease was transmitted. They knew if you touch somebody that it's really likely that person was going to contract the disease, leading to their certain death. But the second part is that what ancient Jews believed is that it represented something that was going on on the inside. That the leprosy was what showed and revealed the, what was happening in the person's heart was unclean that there was, their life was full of sin, that they weren't right with God. And so that was another reason for that person to be cast out of their society, which was a religious society. So what Jesus does when this man comes to him is scandalous at best, but it's downright dangerous at worst. Like to reach out and touch a man who was unclean with the potential that the man's uncleanness would be transmitted into Jesus. It's dangerous physically, right? Scandalous spiritually. But what it foreshadows is that Jesus on the cross would have our sins transmitted to his life so that he could pay the penalty, that he could become the final sacrificial payment for our sin with the ability to impute his righteousness into our hearts. To literally not only invite us into the kingdom through faith, but to put the kingdom of God in us. This is what Jesus was up to. This is why he was here. The man says, not can you heal me? Not, hey, Jesus, could you just try to heal me? Not, Jesus, could you just speak some words over my life? Or, Jesus, could you pray for me? No, he says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can. And Jesus, moved with, his comp with compassion, reaches out and touches him. And he says, I am willing. He's saying, this is my will to take on your sickness potentially so that I can see you healed. What I want to show you, this passage, the bigger picture of why Jesus was here is that he was willing to reach out to us to say, I'm taking on your sin. I am willing. This is my will that I will make your sin mine so that I can make my perfection yours. This is what's happening here. He's pointing to this bigger picture of why he's here. So when Jesus takes on all the sin of the world and he dies on the cross, does that mean that sin won? Not at all. The key is that Jesus is willing. Sin did not kill Jesus. Jesus did not succumb to sin. Jesus allowed sin to kill him. It was 
his will. He chose it willingly to take our sickness upon himself so that he could give us healing. This reality, this purpose was true of Jesus from the beginning of time. It's everything about it has everything about the scripture and history and eternity points to Jesus and everything from Jesus points back to him. Look at what Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus in chapter 53 of of Isaiah's book. In verse 4 it says this, yet, check this out, he himself bore our sickness He carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken and afflicted, struck down by God. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we, we are healed by his wounds. The leper was an outcast headed for certain death. We, too, were headed for certain death. Romans says the wages of sin is death. But God stretched out his hand. He reached down to us through his son, Jesus Christ, who took our sin upon himself and endured the punishment for sin to take our place so that we could have forgiveness and eternal life, so that the kingdom of God could be in us, and we could carry it forward. Sin didn't win. Jesus allowed sin to kill him. And he also continued, by the way, to show his power and authority over both the spiritual and physical realm three days later on Easter morning, right when Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. This is an incredible reality that we now live in. We serve God. We are connected to God, our source of life, who has rescued us from the grave. He's given us his righteousness. He's applied the purpose of Jesus now to our lives so that we can carry the gospel forward. And this proved in in 2 Corinthians, this is Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, he says this, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. We are making, uh, God's making his appeal through us. Right, he says that we're saying, we're pleading on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And here it is again. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what are you up to tomorrow morning? Here's why I ask. Are you going to work tomorrow? Are you going to school tomorrow? Are you just parenting tomorrow? You got doctor's visits? You got sales meetings? I don't know. I don't know what you got, but here's what I do know. How much different will your life on earth be when you walk into wherever you're going tomorrow with the confidence of your God-given purpose that you can now walk into that doctor's office, walk into that sales meeting, walk into your school district, walk into your classroom, and you can say, this is why I am here, to point to Jesus Christ. Everything about my life. This is why I'm here. And the reason I can say that is because Jesus said it first. In Mark chapter 1, he gave us his purpose statement. And he revealed to us through the miraculous healing and casting out of demons and casting out of sicknesses that he came 
to rid us of our sickness, to implant his healing in us. This is why I came. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm at school. I got to point you to Jesus. This is why I'm at work. I got to point you to Jesus. This is why I've come. How much different would your life be to have that kind of God-given confidence about why you are here on earth? But I want to end this morning with something that could be confusing in this passage. And it's Jesus's popular secret. And you go, how can something popular be a secret? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Or you might say, how can a secret be popular? Doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose? But look what happens in verse 44. And this is going to happen several times through the Gospel of Mark. And so I just want to make you aware. Jesus says to the man whom he heals, he says, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest. See that you say nothing to anyone. But then in verse 45, it says, Yet he went out and began to, to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. He was out in the deserted places and they came to him from everywhere. How do we make sense of this? Well, I, th I think about when my brother went to grad school in Los Angeles, and, uh, and I went out to visit him, and uh, of course we went to Disneyland, but then something, he took us to a place I'd never even heard of before this, it's called In-N-Out Burger. Now, we have In-N-Out Burgers now all around Texas, okay? Anybody been to In-N-Out Burger? Did you know, I learned this on my first trip to Los Angeles, that In-N-Out Burger has a secret menu? Is anybody aware of this? secret menu man this is a cool experience I felt like when I was introduced to the idea that In-N-Out had a secret menu like I could get extra toppings or, or you know with no extra charge that I could order off menu stuff at In-N-Out like man this was an exciting I felt like I was being led into like you know this elite fraternity of fast food folklore or something like I just felt so cool and do you know how I found out about it it's because my brother told me do you know how he found out about it? it's because someone told him and do you know what I did with that information? I mean, that's too good not to share, right? Like I was telling everybody, hey, there's this place in California. They got a secret menu. And the secret became popular. That's how this can work. And this is what's happening in Jesus' life in the Gospel of Mark. Now, why would he do this? It seems counterintuitive to say, don't tell anyone. We thought Jesus came to tell everyone. Didn't he just say he came to preach, right? Why wouldn't he want somebody to tell well, I don't, the Bible doesn't actually give us a real clear, explicit answer, but it's most likely because he didn't want the world to misunderstand who he was or why he was on earth. It was already happening. You know, the disciples and others, they just wanted more miracles. They were into the sensationalism of Jesus' ministry, but he knew his purpose, which was to serve and to suffer for sin and our salvation. He didn't want people to misunderstand. You know, Maybe it was because he came in humility. We know Jesus, right? He was a servant of all. He came in humility, which was you know, a stark contrast with the other religious leaders of the day who we know Jesus would talk about how they stand up and pray so that they can have attention on themselves. right? Everything they did was about pointing to them, but everything Jesus did was about pointing to the kingdom of God. He came in humility. He was different. Maybe it was because Jesus recognized that the bigger the crowd, the less time he would have one-on-one -on -one with his disciples. I don't know. 
The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe Jesus has a whole other list of reasons why he did this uh, that we'll one day find out. But the irony of it, the irony of what happens, it reinforces our purpose here on earth. That while Jesus commanded these people not to tell anyone, they told everyone. And while Jesus commands us to tell everyone, we are often found not telling anyone. But if you've experienced Jesus like these people did, that your faith in him has caused him to cleanse you of your sin, to rout out the uncleanness in you and replace it with forgiveness and eternal life in the kingdom of God, you can't help but talk about it, can you? That's why you and I are here on earth, to carry the mission of Jesus forward, to tell everyone. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm going to invite Nate, back up to just help us with a moment of response. And I want to give you a moment to respond. And here's how I want you to respond. Some of you today may be recognizing that your life isn't defined by the God-given purpose he's given you. And you just need to kind of reset with God this morning. Take a moment to do that while we sing. Others of you need to discover purpose in life by placing your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. If that's you, we want to help you take those next steps. And right out at Guest Central, you can meet someone who will help you take those spiritual next steps. But for this moment together, as Nate just leads us in a chorus, take a moment with God and respond to him. And let me pray for you. God, we thank you that Jesus came for our salvation, that he gave his life in exchange for us, that he was the substitute for us so that we could know forgiveness and eternal life with you. God, help us to be people of purpose just like Jesus was. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.